and that lets you save the look here. True form life. Green look on Welcome to another edition of Exploring Mind and Body. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia. Thanks so much for being here on this edition of the show. I always appreciate your time and efforts to come and see what we have going on each week. Now, today I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Bernie Siegel, who will be talking about love, animals, and miracles. So before we jump in the show, just a quick word from our sponsor, MAK Mystic Expressions. Now, this is a Himalayan salt company that specializes in pink salt. Now, I think we all can make a small change in our lives by transitioning from white refined salt to pink Himalayan salt. Now, if you head over to MAK Mystic Expressions, they have all kinds of information and products such as Himalayan salt lamps, salt grinders, salt shakers, you name it, they got it. So head over to makmystic.com for more details. All right, so as I was saying, we have Dr. Bernie Siegel coming on. And as you'll soon find out, Dr. Bernie has an incredible ability to tell a story in such a way that it makes you feel like you're actually experience, experiencing his own story. He's going to share how he grew up with animals, how he learned so many life lessons from animals and how we can learn them ourselves, how love and miracles go hand in hand. I absolutely love this interview, and I think you will too. So sit right there and enjoy. We got all that coming up on... This is Exploring Mind and Body. Naturally improve your lifestyle one show at a time with your host, Drew Tadia. I was wondering where the idea came from writing a, a book about loves, love, animals, and miracles. Animals have always been an important part of my life. And to be totally honest and not hide things and worry what people think of me, uh, when a friend asked me over the phone once a few years ago when I was very busy, why are you living this life? Meaning, why am I running around doing so much? I said to her, oh my, I, I really went into a trance and said, I see myself with a sword in my hand. And my feeling is that the consciousness of a knight from a previous age who killed people, animals with a sword is in me. And that I've been rescuing, and you could say why I became a surgeon was to cure people and help them with a knife, not hurt them. But I also felt rescuing all these creatures was a part of me from the time I was a child. My parents weren't into having a house full of animals, but once I got married, my wife was a lot like me, and uh, she would bring home stray creatures that walked past the school where she taught. Um, <laughs> veterinarians learned that uh, how I felt and that we had five children who could help care for the animals, so they would ask if we would take in exotic pets, and so we had everything from a fenced-in area in our acre and a half of land filled with ducks and goats and geese to a house full of uh, snakes and turtles and chameleons and uh, kinkajou uh, and, and skunks, um, turtles, I, I mentioned, um, I was thinking the uh, squirrels that we rescued, birds, and they were all cared for as if they were our family. And I mean it because when people would visit and have creatures run across the, you know, like a mouse run across the living room carpet, 
They'd go, oh, my, look. I'd say, yeah, what do you have to tell You know, they're not used to a mouse being a part of the family. You said that's part of our family. (laughs) Yeah, if they got out of the cage, okay, we'd catch them. And they all had animals. I mean, they all had names. Every animal had a name. So, as I say, they were, you know, part of the family. And some of the funny stories that are in the book, too, because you have one girl and four boys. And one of the boys was very much into reptiles and had snakes and creatures. You know, again, what was our house like? One of the bedrooms where Stephen was had a dead tree in it. So these chameleons could live up in the tree. And you'd say, how many parents would put a dead tree in in the child's room? But it just was natural for us. But every now and then his snake would escape. And it's like the snake must have been a male too, because he would always lie down in front of Carolyn's bedroom. And she would come out and shriek, you know, about the snake. And um, it, it was just so funny. And then the boys eventually got a rubber snake and would put that there just to drive her nuts. <laughs> so one day when the snake was missing, she came out, sees this thing lying there, thinks, oh, they're kidding me again with the rubber snake. And she picks it up only to realize it's the real snake. Um, he was he was a python, so he had a name Monty Python. And... Um, you know, but everybody heard the shriek, and they were, the boys were laughing so hard because she thought it was a rubber snake, and uh, Stephen was very happy because he hadn't been able to find it, and she rescued it. <laughs> she um, found it. But, yeah, and, and again, it, it, what it taught them, I think that's the key. Not so much the anecdotes, but when you grow up with animals like that, you learn a reverence for life. See, life was precious. I mean, it was stressful for me because the kids expected me to be, you know, the doctor and veterinarian also. I mean, not that I didn't have veterinarians help me care for them, but I'd come home and they would tell me, if, you know, the turtle was sick or or the uh, guinea pig was in labor. And uh, they wanted me to take care of everything. And I told them, number one, that they had to get used to death. I mean, that I can't save everybody. And that death is also a part of life. But more importantly, as I said, was the reverence for life. They did all they could to contribute to the life of that creature. And um, I was reading Schweitzer's work one day and realized I'm not neurotic because I often give a test question to people. I say, you know, you're walking down the street after it rains and you see a lot of worms lying in the street. What do you do? What I do is pick them up and put them back on the earth. Especially every morning I walk in dogs and, you know, I see them. And I just thought, Siegel, you're neurotic, so accept it and just keep doing it. But then I came across Schweitzer's writing, and he wrote, when you're out walking after the rain and you see an earthworm, pick it up and put it back on the soil. And if you see an insect in a puddle, give it a leaf to climb up on. When I read that, my heart said to Schweitzer, thank you. I'm not crazy. I just care. And I know our kids are the same way. You know, you do read about all this violence that's going on. The boy I mentioned, Stephen, he's in the FBI. And what shocked me when I was at his graduation with my wife, they were showing what they go through in their training. One of the questions they're asked is, are you capable of killing someone? If you say no, they say, 
then go home. You can't be accepted into the academy. And to know your son said yes shook me up a little bit. But on the other hand, I got an email from him while he was in training. He said, between classes, I went out to take a walk, and I saw a turtle. And he has a sense of humor. He said, it must have been a male who didn't ask for directions. <laughs> but he said, I picked it up and spent half an hour finding a pond to put it in. Now, you don't worry about that kid having a gun. If he spent half an hour saving the life of a turtle, he's not going to take a life out of revenge or bitterness or uh, a million other crazy reasons. He's going to use it to save lives. And that's why I know that if every kid grew up with love and that reverence for life and for loving all living things, this would be a very nice, peaceful world. Not too long ago, I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Colleen Manning, who's the owner, who's a Pilates instructor and owner of Studio Pilates. Now, her perspective and attitude around health and wellness is absolutely a breath of fresh air. Now, Studio Pilates has a number of different classes that include Piloxing, Booty Bar, men's classes as well. Now, there's all kinds of benefits to checking out Pilates, no matter what type of condition or shape you're in, for beginners to advanced. Now, Colleen has such a warm and welcoming attitude around wellness. I highly recommend you check out Studio Pilates here in Red Deer. Now, they've moved to a new location. They're at number 4, 4940 54th Ave in Red Deer, Alberta, right here in our, our backyard. And if you'd like to call them, they can be reached at 403 341 5911. More details can also be found at their website at studiopilates.ca. But a study done in Australia, um, people after a heart attack went home to a house with a dog. And 12 months later, their mortality rate was 6%. If there was no dog in the house, the mortality rate was 24%. And again, it's the relationships that change our chemistry, our body. We're more likely to be healthy when we have healthy relationships. And literally, it doesn't have to be an animal. I mean, there were studies done with plants in nursing homes. When people had a relationship with the life of another living thing, see, we're decorating your room, we're putting a plant in here, you have to take care of it, water it, fertilize it, see it get sunshine. Well, who lived longer? The people who were given responsibility for the plant. Um, and I don't make up any of these stories. I mean, they're all studies that have been done. So, again, love, animals, and miracles. Yeah, the animals can bring so much into our lives. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was why, why you say that animals choose people instead of people choose animals? Because animals are complete. I like that word, say. Not the word good, where the Bible talks about you know, all the things that are created except man. Animals are complete. They are role models for us. I mean that literally. Um, whereas we are still learning, but it's what makes our life and actions meaningful. You know, the way I put it is, if you come home and the dog runs up and jumps on you and licks you, you know, hey, that's what dogs do. 
<laughs> but if you come home and your family says, Dad, we love you, can we give you a hug? Wow. You know, that makes a difference in your life. And I think that that's the important aspect. There's one story in there, and because um, the person who wrote it just sent me another email. I'm going to do something with her that was so interesting because what happened was her daughter and I mean, the couple's daughter went to get a dog for the father as a gift. And she went to this breeder and selected a dog. But the breeder said, no, the one you picked has already been taken. I'm sorry. So she went home without a dog. She is murdered a year or so after that day. And it was just a terribly tragic event for the family. But after a while, they got themselves together and thought, let's go and get a dog, you know, to sort of honor her. And they go down to the breeder. They walk in, and the room is filled with a bunch of dogs that were running around. But one of them comes running over and jumps up onto the father's chest. And the breeder said, oh, my, that's the dog your daughter picked for you. Wow. And the people couldn't keep it, so they brought it back. And, of course, they took it home. And recently, that dog died. I mean, it's many years later. But, again, what the woman talked about was what that dog taught them and, and how it really, in a sense, became their therapist, um, teaching them about love and um, just all the things that were so important uh, for the family to help them survive. Um, and, and I think, again, that's why I say that the animals are teachers. There's one um, group of things that I read uh, often when I'm lecturing in a very serious way, you know, because I say to people, um, you need a role model. I read a list where if you can get going without caffeine, you know, start the day without pep pills, resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, eat the same food every day and be grateful for it. And it goes on and on and on. And then it ends with, and if you can, then you're almost as good as your dog. <laughs> and, you know, then people laugh. But when they're listening to the list, they're taking it seriously uh, because they don't realize that I'm teasing um, them. And, um, you know, I always say when you're in doubt, WWLD, it's what would Lassie do? Um, so that, that's why I say that's so important and so unique to each of us. I just want to take a moment to tell you about the tire shop here in Olds. Now, it's important to have your car serviced on a regular basis. Now, for me, I'm not really a car type of person that has the resources or knowledge to be able to do that myself. So that's why I find good quality people that offer a good service like those at the tire shop. Now, the first thing you're going to notice is the customer service. Most of the time, they're going to remember your name. And I think that's kind of a lost additive, if you will, in this day and age with all the mass production and less than customer service. So by far, that's my very first 
thing that I think about when I think about the tire shop is how friendly they are and how they treat you like family. And this is a family run business. Now they've been in business for 40 years, if you could imagine. So they're doing something right. Now the tire shop isn't just about tires. They do a number of other services like your oil, brakes, tune-ups, battery, wheel alignment, the list goes on. So you can take your car in into them knowing that you trust these type of people that can help you feel safe on the road. And especially now that winter's coming up, it's more important to have your car serviced, to have your tires looked at, and to those locally in our community that you trust and believe in and know that once you go in there, first of all, you're going to feel better about yourself simply because of the atmosphere that they have at the shop. And then secondly, when you leave, you know you're definitely going to have the best quality in the area taking care of your car. So I highly recommend you check out the tire shop. If you want to pop in, they're at 5903 Imperial Way, right behind Napa here in Olds, or you can give them a call at 403-556-7660. Tell me more about how caring for animals is good for your health. Well, what it does, uh, I mean, one study was done, if you pet a furry creature, your oxytocin and serotonin levels go up. And those are your bonding hormones. I mean, I always say anybody who has a dog, I see it myself. When I walk with the dog, everybody talks to me. I mean, it, like I, I do some work in an assisted living facility. If I walk into the lobby with our dog, everybody, you know, immediately, oh, how cute. Oh, you know, I've got to walk around. Everybody's got to pet the dog. We have something to talk about. But if I walk in alone, they don't say, oh, isn't that a cute man? Um, <laughs> come over here. I want to pet you. Um, and so again, those are the things that, uh, you know, connect us. And a lot of women, actually, I tell a lot of single women, get a dog first if you're looking for a husband, because another study that was done, the women said the man they married, they met walking their dog. So again, it's those connections that happen, uh, around the dog. And as I say, it doesn't just have to be a dog. I had one cat that, we named Miracle after a cat that appeared in a lady's dream and said, my name is Miracle and told her how to treat her cancer, which saved her life. Um, the cat Miracle, told her how to treat her? Yeah, in the dream. What did the cat say? The things that happen. I mean it, that the consciousness, you know, is what's speaking to her, but it was in the form of a cat who said, this is how you should treat your cancer. And the woman knows nothing about you know, treatment for cancer. I mean, she's not a medical person, um, but she wrote it all down and told her doctor who was wise enough to say, okay. And, uh, you know, years later she's fine. And when one of our kids came in with a kitten, I named it miracle. And I used to take her everywhere with me. So she had no fears and, and was a therapist for people. I mean, I could take her into nursing homes and put her in people's laps and, oh, you'd see the change in their face. And one humorous thing, because I, I always have a sense of humor, was um, Miracle was more like a dog than a cat. Let's put it that way. Uh, I could walk her, give her commands, never worry about who she would meet, run into, didn't have any fear out in the street with noises or anything else. I mean, she's an incredible creature. And um, they had a dog show in town. So I took her and one of our dogs on a leash and walked in, you know, to enter them in the show. And they said, excuse me, this is a dog show. I said, look, she thinks she's a dog. <laughs> and I'm not going to disappoint her. So I put her in the show. And they didn't know what to do with me, so they let me, you know, come in. 
Um, and um, she got so much attention, especially from some of these enormous dogs, the Newfoundlands and others, you know, weigh a couple hundred pounds, and they'd come jogging over to her to sniff her, and she'd sit there, not move, no fear. And so she got so much attention, the next year the sign went up, dog show. At the bottom of the sign it said, the show is for dogs only. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew they were telling Siegel not to come. Uh, and let me read this paragraph to you about that dog that the daughter who was murdered had picked out. Um, we had to say goodbye to Aries, our standard poodle. He was that gift of love from our daughter Elizabeth through the spirit world. He brought us undying love and taught us how to live and die. He'd lived longer than any other we ever had. When he stopped eating, he was telling us he was ready to go. He was a wonderful boy. Aries taught us how to wag our tails no matter what life throws at us. Hold no judgment. Live in the moment for none of us know tomorrow and trust that yesterday is gone. He only knew love. That is our legacy. It lives on. Bernie, thank you for your words that also live on. They hold meaning and resonate deep from within. Much love, Audrey. Um, and again, what do the animals teach us? Yeah, that paragraph. Just wow, about that's a, how to live and die. Yeah, it's a powerful message that they sent you there. And I think that's the part. My reaction to this is that's the part that's immortal. For all of us you know that love um is what stays with everyone and uh so i always say to people you want to live forever love somebody and that makes the difference i'm interested to hear more about the dreams now i know you mentioned that in your book and you talked about how animals deliver important messages mm. can you tell talk about that a little bit well the I think the intellect is what gets in the way. The best way of describing it, I found, was, well, some in myths and fairy tales. It's like the ugly duckling sees a swan on a still pond. A tiger brought up by goats is taken to a still pond by another tiger one day and says, hey, dumbbell, you're not a goat, look. And my friend Amelia Kincaid, who... It has some stories in the book, too. She's an animal intuitive. Now, I was in California to speak at an ASPCA non-kill conference. Get in the elevator. There's a nice young lady standing there. I said, hello, you at the conference? Yes, why? I'm an animal intuitive. My reaction was, lady, you need a psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you talk to animals, come on. Uh, you see, that's why I now say to everybody, live by your experience, not your belief. Because what did Amelia teach me? See, I'm, I tested her. A few months after I got back to Connecticut, and she's out in California, I emailed her. I said, okay, we're missing a cat. It's probably dead in the woods. But, you know, if you know where it is or if it's alive, tell me. A couple of days later, I got the most incredible email saying, the cat's alive, I can see the moon through its eyes. She then described the whole house, all the other pets. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And I went out the next morning screaming the cat's name, and I finally heard a, <laughs> oh, yeah, what was strange is Amelia put in, the cat is under the house. That made no sense to me. 
But where was the cat? It was under a stairway to protect itself. It came down to the ground on both sides. So it had squeezed in there like to put itself in a cage and be safe while it was outside. And um, I got it back in the house and okay. And then while in Africa, I emailed her again and said, I got another cat missing. I think it's in the basement, but <clears throat> it doesn't respond to me when I go down there. And Amelia sent me an email, again, describing our basement in total detail. So I knew that's where the cat was. And I realized the cat's not going to come out because she knows that she's not supposed to be there. So I have to leave. When I left the house, then she came out, you know, to my wife. And uh, they closed the door and, uh, you know, didn't let her get back in there. But what Amelia is always saying to me is, Bernie, quiet your mind. You know, if you're screaming and frantic, where's my pet, where's my dog, uh, it doesn't work. Quiet your mind, you'll get into the animal's mind. And I've had incredible experiences because I always hear Amelia saying to me, quiet your mind. I mean, one, one dog, again, the unconscious. It's hard to not keep telling stories. I wrote a book called Buddy's Candle to help people deal with the loss of a loved one, be it an animal or a family member. The day I finished writing the book, I went out to take our dog for a walk, and I heard a voice tell me, and I mean literally, I hear voices. A voice said, go to the animal shelter. And when I hear that, I know it's my intuitive wisdom. So I jump in the car, we go down to the shelter. I walk in, there's a dog sitting right by the door. And the first thing I said was, what's his name? And they said, his name is Buddy. He's been here less than 15 minutes. I said, I'm taking him home. That's what I'm here for. And I did. He jumped out of the car, though, when I stopped for gas on the way home. had a frantic time getting people to help me get him back, you know, catch him and get him back in the car. Because he doesn't know who I am. When we got home, I remembered what Amelia said. Bernie, quiet your mind. And I said to him, why did you do that? He said, I belonged to a couple. The husband was an alcoholic. And when the wife would say, take the dog for a walk, he would put me in the car and he would drive down to the bar and drink. And then he'd abuse me. And he would lie to his wife about walking me. I don't ever want to be in a car. I said, I would never treat you that way. Two weeks later, <clears throat> I came out of Stop and Shop and I saw the car door was wide open that I had hit the button uh, on the minivan, and the door had opened. And I thought, well, there he goes. He's gone. No, he was sitting in an open car waiting for me because he and I were now buddies, you know, family, and he didn't have to worry anymore. And I, I laughed for a moment because the other dog I had, he was missing. And I, again, heard Amelia say, Bernie, calm down, stop screaming in the parking lot. And I knew where he was immediately. He was inside, stop and shop, looking for me. That's the kind of dog he was, you know. I could go into post office, stop and shop anywhere. He'd sit outside, and people would say, there's a dog outside. I'd say, yeah, it's mine. Why is he sitting there waiting for me? Um, you know, that's the kind of dog he was. But it was so funny. Uh, the security guard was uh, 
giving him treats. <laughs> Bernie, and I got him and took him home. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie, I want you to tell, before we change the subject, um, I think it's along the same lines as Buddy's Candle. Tell us, I don't want to give away too much of it. You'll tell it much better than I. Tell us a story about the crying over the dog with the lit candle. Oh, yeah. That that was in the book, Buddy's Candle. It That story, that theme, helped me deal with the loss of my father. You know, not just to, uh, I mean, to accept the fact that we're all mortal and therefore to enjoy the day. And that's what I've seen with our animals and, and as well as children. I did a lot of children's surgery. You know, as, as one of our kids said to me one day, Dad, you're handling this poorly because I thought he had cancer. He had a bone tumor. And, you know, would lose a leg, die in a year, and uh. And he said, Dad, we want to go out and play in the yard, and you're worried about next year. And that's the lesson I think the animals teach us, too. Now, tell me your question again, because my mind wandered off a little. <laughs> that's yeah. okay. I want you to tell the story about... Oh, about... the tears, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, okay. So your favorite animal dies. All you're doing is crying. And one day the angel of death showed up and said, Bernie, you know, you're so into death, you're not enjoying life anymore. I said, well, I've had this painful loss. I, I can't help it. I can't help it. I'm crying all the time. Come with me. We're going up to see the parade that happens every month. All the animals that die have a parade at the end of the month. And in the, you know, doggy heaven, and I want to take you up there to show you. It'll help you feel better. So we go up, and I'm watching all the dogs walking by. And they're all carrying a bright candle. It's just with a beautiful glow. And it just felt so good to watch them all. And then I noticed there's a dog coming with a dark candle. So I said to the angel, hey, look, there's a dog with a dark candle. And the angel said, oh, my, here. Here's a match. Go light it. And I ran up. And guess who it was? Buddy. I said, Buddy, your candle's out. Let me light it for you. And he looked at me and said, Bernie, they do, but your tears keep putting it out. But boy, that hit home for me, you know? And I think it's true of all our loved ones who have died. They don't want us grieving for the rest of our lives. They want us to have a nice day, enjoy the day. And again, that's what the animals teach us you know they're in in the moment not worrying about next year um yes i know see and they're very intuitive because i was thinking though if i'm thinking i need to take them to the vet for a shot or do something then they disappear (laughs) you see that that was the part that impressed the hell out of me you know when i was listening to amelia and couldn't believe she talked to animals but the animals also read our minds we had two outdoor cats, um, <clears throat> and the I said to the vet, the only time I can bring them for you know rabies shots or other things is in the morning because they show up for a meal, and then I can pick them up. So we made an appointment for the next day. What do you think happens? The animal, the cats, didn't show up for a solid week. I called the vet. I said, forget it. You know, it's ridiculous. Um there's no point in my wasting your time, so cancel the appointment because I kept making it for every morning. And 
what do you think happened the next day? The two cats were right there waiting for breakfast because <laughs> there was no appointment at the vet. And as I say, those are the things that make me know. So when you quiet your mind, you can talk to the animal. And if you listen, you'll hear them. It may sound crazy, you know, how can a rabbit and a cat and a dog, you know, talk to you, but they do. And you'll hear the words and they'll tell you why. I mean, another crazy example, we had a, a rabbit we rescued named Smudge. And um, I would go out, we had a fenced in yard to bring Smudge in when it would get start to get dark because I worried if a predator ever jumped the fence, you know, what would happen to Smudge. But she would run around the yard driving me nuts trying to catch her. So one day I stopped and I quietly said in my mind, why do you do this? Why don't you let me bring you in? Okay. And she said to me, you don't treat the cats this way. Now, see, I know I didn't make that up, if you know what I mean. It's like, where's that coming from? And uh, I said, well, I don't worry about the cats. They can protect themselves, climb trees, do things you can't. From that night on, it was okay. She would let me pick her up. I mean, once in a while, I'd see a glint in her eye, and I knew she was teasing me, you know, to run around for a minute. Oh, but the other lesson, this is an important one I think she taught me, was forgiveness. You say, why the animals are teachers. One of the dogs grabbed her about 10 days after we had brought her into the house as a house rabbit. And it was my fault because I didn't lock um, the, the uh, window where the uh, pet door is, you know, the flapping door. They run in and out because I thought, well, they know each other well enough by now because I was only out of the house a few minutes. I thought it won't be a problem. I don't have to go back. But when I came back, the dog had grabbed her and wounded her. And I just felt so guilty and horrible. But one lesson, too, when you take care of her wounds and you're hurting her, what does she do? She licks your hand. That also impresses the hell out of me with the animals. They don't turn and bite you because you're hurting me. They lick your hand. That's their way of telling me, hey, you're hurting. Take it easy. Uh, it so impresses me. People don't act that way. And then the other was, I went out to bring her in one evening, and I couldn't find her in the yard. It's like, where is she? And then I noticed the dog, Furphy, who had bitten her, was lying there on the ground. So I just walked over to him to pet him. And guess who's lying practically under him, you know, on his back, was Smudge. And I thought, wow, look at. He's hiding her now, so I can't find her. And they're buddies, and she's forgiven him. And it, that's the part that touches your heart and is so wonderful. How can we learn from something like that? How can yeah. we as humans, as treating animals as role models? You have to, that's why I said, WWLD, what would Lassie do? I mean, you have to really say to yourself, what would an animal, you know, my favorite pet do if this happened to them? How would they behave? Make them a role model. And it, it's, again, doesn't have to be the animal literally, but what would make your pet happy about how you behave? Because what you, what you learn when you study actors, the role they play affects their internal chemistry. In other words, um, immune function, stress hormone levels. You know, if you're in a tragedy, they go up. It takes its toll on you, even though you're acting. And if you're in a comedy, yeah, you're healthier and happier. 
even though it's a play and it's not your life. Um, and that's why, again, the animals provide us with something. You know, if they get you laughing and smiling uh, and physically active, all those things are contributing to your health as well as the relationship aspect. So people have to keep, you know, coming up with a role model and say, how should I behave? And uh, make your pets proud of you. Tell us more about children and animals and how, ch you know, how children can learn more about compassion and loving by raising an animal from childhood. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that pops into my head immediately, we hatched all the eggs in incubators from turtles, <laughs> you know, to ducks and geese. So everything that hatched thought our children were their parents. It's called imprinting. You know, you pop out of an egg, what's the first face you see? Oh, hello, Mom. Hello, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and what impressed me, again, were the relationships our children and our animals, um, you know, created just naturally. I mean, they didn't work at it. it. It just happened because of, as I say, when they popped out of the egg, here's my family. And the ducks and geese particularly, I got such a kick out of it because... When our kids would go to get on the school bus, who would go down the driveway with them and try to get on the school bus? Ducks <laughs> and geese. And it was amazing. And unfortunately, the bus drivers got a kick out of it, so they didn't get upset, you know, if the ducks and geese tried to jump up into the bus. And then they, you know, they'd be there when the kids came home waiting for them. And what really impressed me about that connection was when we had too many ducks and geese for us to keep in our yard, my folks lived on a lake. So I took a bunch of them down there and released them into the lake. And I got a call from my mother a few days later. Our neighbors have a question. What is it? Every time a school bus comes, all the ducks and geese come out of the lake and up to the street. And that touched my heart. They were looking for our kids. Oh, my. You know, it's like they had been separated from their family and they wanted to get together with them again. So the school bus was the symbol to the ducks and geese of our kids. And and that's why, you know, believe me, the animals think and feel. There, there are plenty of people who've written books and made movies about those things. What was it like raising a turtle? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, one of the things, before I'd go to the hospital in the morning and put my shoes on, I would always check to make sure there were no turtle eggs in the shoes. <laughs> you know, I'd hold the shoe up, see if anything rolled to the back. And the other was, as I say, I, I had like the kids, the kiddie pools that kids play in, uh, and I'd build a deck around it so they could climb in and out. And, yeah, and sometimes they would jump out. But the turtles, too, knew the kids. You know, as I said, they had names, and we fed them. And matter of fact, one of the stories is from one of our grandchildren about a turtle. That touched my heart, too. Uh, Charlie is his name, and he had a turtle, a female turtle, that the vet said it was not eating and acting, you know, happy because it's like entering its adolescence, so it's changing, and they need to get him some really, her, really uh, some, you know, good food that would interest it, and he thought they ought to go and buy a little fish for the turtle to eat, not just all this, you know, dried stuff. And Charlie felt, oh, I don't want to kill a fish. Um, but the vet, you know, convinced him, if the turtle's going to survive, you've got to 
get it to change her attitude. So Charlie went and bought this little fish and brought it home and dropped it in the tank, you know, waiting for a tragic event. But what happens? The fish swims over to the turtle's nose and they touch noses and they became best friends. And the fish and the turtle are now living together and the turtle is very happy and they share meals and everything. And again, that's the part, you know, that has to touch your heart, how animals will react to each other. And you know how many things you see, uh, pictures sent via the computer about tigers and nursing a little pig and not, you know, eating it. And the other night we were watching a dog. Yeah, it was on the Animal Planet uh, channel, you know, strange uh, partners. And a dog and a tiger are running around and playing together. And it's just amazing. But again, it's where they are coming from. Why I say they're more complete than we are. And we have a lot to learn from them, you know, to accept each other uh, and our differences and not see this as, as something to fight and kill over, but something to accept and to become one family. Well, one of the last questions I want to ask you is you told a story about how a dog got into a fight with another dog and lost its tail and eye. Oh, yeah. Um, can you That's end this interview with that story for us? Yeah, that was our dog, Furphy, and he had a name. <laughs> I'm laughing because, you see, I was went another message, go to the shelter. I did, and this little dog comes running out from the back and grabs my leg. So I said, all right, I'm taking him home. We got home. My wife said, look, we got enough Furfies all over the furniture, meaning little pieces of fur, you know, and she's trying to keep the house clean, so she didn't want another Furphy. So I named him Furphy. <laughs> <laughs> Then my wife starts laughing, and okay, he can stay. Um, And our neighbors had two dogs that were totally untrained. They had an electric fence, so these dogs never left the property, never interacted with anything. You know, you'd walk by, they'd bark like crazy. Well, one day, our dogs walked into the woods, not terribly far away. You know, it's like the next piece of property, but they don't know it was an electric fence. And apparently, they crossed the line, and then they were attacked by the neighbor's dogs. Um, and Furphy lost an eye. I mean, his tail's cut off, bitten off. Uh, he, it was a disaster. Oh, my. Uh, you know, and again, it's partly, you know, what are those dogs acting like the neighbors? You know, they didn't call up to say, oh, my God, we're so sorry. Uh, even we'll help you pay the vet bill because um, he had to be in the hospital and had surgery and everything. Um, I wasn't expecting anything of them, but they they. They're blaming our dogs, you see. Your dogs crossed the line. Well, how the hell am our dogs supposed to know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if their dogs had been, what, you, what would you say, uh, you know, just made sociable, they wouldn't attack another dog. I mean, I can take our present dog, and I know, no matter who he meets, he's not going to start a fight with them um, because of how he's been brought up and what he's been taught. But Furphy, again, taught me that... You don't look in the mirror and say, oh, my God, look look, oh, look what's happened to me. I can't go outside anymore. What will people think? He just went on enjoying life and never complained. And when he got tired of life, um, it, that was interesting to me, too. I knew he didn't want to upset or bother me. 
but he went to sleep in the bedroom where we are. But in the morning when I got up, he wasn't there. He was in the kitchen. He had laid down on a little piece of carpet and had died quietly that night. And again, he didn't have trouble dying, if you know what I mean. Um, he knew when I'm ready, I can go, and I don't want him to find me in the bedroom. That'll upset him. So he did me a favor and died in the kitchen. And I bury everybody around the house. Um, and I mean that literally. Every creature is still with us. I know where they all are, uh, the cats and rabbits and the dogs and everything. And a story that impressed me is called Wolfen. And I think partly because it connected with my life. The first time I read it, I burst out crying. And our kids were looking at me like, what is, what's wrong with you? It's a story that I was reading then. But a knight comes home from the war. He knows his wife has had a baby. He goes up to the nursery. The crib is turned over. The room is covered with blood. His dog is sitting there covered in blood. He assumes the dog has killed his infant son, and he kills the dog with his sword. Then he picks up the crib, and who's lying there? His perfectly healthy baby and a dead wolf. And he realizes the dog saved his son's life, and he has killed his dog. And he builds a monument of stone, a cairn. It's called to him. And... Yeah, when I read that, I built that too. At the bottom of our driveway is a big pile of stones. And, but I learned something from one of the dogs. Because when he died, I was, and on Father's Day, see, a day you can't forget that dog. And I would walk by his grave and put a stone on it every day. And then I heard him talk to me one day. Why don't you bring me a flower? See, that's like that buddy's candle thing. You know, your tears are putting out the candle. And for this dog, who was named Duke, was, why don't you bring me a flower? And he changed my morning. Instead of looking for a rock to put on his grave, I looked for something pretty every morning, a flower. And that's what they all teach us. Wow. That's great. Those yeah, those stories are. I, I get so involved in them. <laughs> I know, and you know they're in me. And I until you ask me, I don't remember them. If you know what I mean, they're a part of me, and then they just come flowing back up, and uh, you realize how important and significant they have been. Yeah, well, you got so many of them. Thank you so much, Doctor Bernie Siegel. Oh, thank thank you, you for being with us. Um, I'm going to let you go on that. Can you tell us more information about your website, maybe where we can find oh, yeah. your book? If people want to get in touch with me or order the books and tapes and all kinds of, and, and read articles I've written, you know, um, about all kinds of things. Because uh, there's one, one more thing before I, after I say this, it's the website is Bernie Siegel, M-D, S-I-E-G-E-L, BernieSiegelMD.com. And one of the things that, um, oh, I got so many thoughts in my head. Now I can't even remember what I was going to say um i'm sorry it it's when i switched back to my intellect and and the website ah now it's come back if i tell my brain i need something it always comes up with something it's amazing but it was i'd written a story called um you can't sleep with a butterfly and maybe just finishing with this mystic event i'll make it short but a, a patient of mine died on the hawaiian island of Kauai 
after straightening out her relationship with her mother. That's why she went there. We show up a year or so later to give an outdoor workshop, and we rescued a butterfly that was in a store that was very confused by all the store lights and just going in circles. So my wife put her hand up, butterfly landed on her hand, and came out of the store with us. We're expecting it to fly away. What does it do? It stays on her hand, jumps onto her shoulder, gets in the car with us, goes to the hotel, up to the hotel room, uh, sitting on her shoulder, and I've got photographs of these things, um, and staying with us in the room. And I finally I said to my wife, you know, you can't sleep with a butterfly. We've got to get to bed. You've got to get rid of it. So she went out on the porch, brushed it off her shoulder, came back in, said, okay. I said, look at your other shoulder. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I really, you know, my sense was it's the spirit of my patient. I mean, you can't explain that behavior from a butterfly. It's the symbol of her transformation. And so I started talking to the butterfly like it was a person. I said, I'm doing a workshop tomorrow. I want to use the symbol of the butterfly. I'm going to put you in a bag in the morning, and I'll open the bag when I start to lecture and talk about a butterfly. And sure enough, next morning, I get this little paper bag. She hops right in, and um, we go to the workshop. And I go up to the podium, open the bag, and the butterfly comes out, and I discuss the symbol of transformation. And then the butterfly spent the whole day flying over our heads from 9 in the morning to 5 o'clock in the evening. It never left the circle of people who were there. And at 5 o'clock when we finished, that's the first time it flew up and away. But that's why you can't sleep with a butterfly. I mean, <laughs> wow. there's no way you can explain that behavior. And I could, you know, go on for another hour with stories now about animals that have showed up and saved people's lives and done all kinds of things, and that they knew it was their child that was coming back because the child loved, you know, butterflies, birds, all kinds of creatures, and one shows up and says, slow down, and the woman steps on the brake because there's a pigeon in the road which her son loved, and he had died. She hears his voice, and the pigeon is speaking, saying, slow down, and because she slowed down, she didn't end up on a sheet of ice in a pileup of 20 cars as she came around the curve on the highway. All right, so that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Exploring Mind and Body. Thank you so much for being here and sticking around to check out that show that was longer than most of our shows, but I was so engulfed in these stories that Dr. Bernie Siegel was telling uh, telling us I didn't want to stop him so I appreciate him sticking around to share his stories with us and for you as well to be here with us right till the end so that's going to wrap things up for this edition if you are interested in being more a part of our true form life community I have a weekly newsletter that I send out every Monday morning so if you never want to miss any of these shows or if you want more of my current content that includes recipes videos, blog posts, podcasts, radio shows, and more. I send all those out in one package right to your email box. So all you have to do is head over to trueformlife.com for more details. It's on the main page. And then also we have our monthly membership group. That's going fantastic. I absolutely love it. Now what we do is design weekly meal plans that include recipes and grocery shopping lists. And we also design weekly workouts. So these are all at-home workouts. 
and we have video exp explanations and printable PDFs. Then we put everyone in a private and supportive group to answer questions, offer accountability, motivation, whatever you need to live a healthy lifestyle. That's what we're offering there. And again, that's at trueformlife.com. All these past shows are going to be going up on exploringmindandbody.com. That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia, in health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Tadia, or to listen to past shows, visit exploringmindandbody.com.